Anybody uh, ever played hide-and-seek with uh, a five-year-old or younger? Just want to describe this to you because it is not what my competitive nature hide-and-seek looks like. I get frustrated with five-year-olds and younger because they have a different game of hide-and-seek that I play. I play to win. I play to hide so you can't find me. I play to seek before you even get hidden. I'm on it. Hide and seek like a missile. Seek and destroy. But a five-year-old, <laughs> totally different dynamic. We should call hide and seek, not hide and seek. We should call it, I want to be found and seek in places that is impossible for anybody to hide. Have you ever played hide and seek with the... So if they're hiding, my five-year-old or under kids will hide behind a pole, a pole this big, and they know they're hidden. You're not going to find them. And if they get found, then they hide again. Where do they hide again? Behind the same pole. Because the reality is they don't want to be not found. They want to be found. As a matter of fact, if they accidentally hide someplace that's too good to be found, what happens? After five seconds, they go, here I am. No, 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 you're supposed to be hiding. You had a good hiding spot. Don't hide. Don't, don't let me know. It's not hide. It's hide to be found. And then it's seek in impossible places where nobody could hide. You, you go with the person who's seeking who's a little kid. They're looking under pillows as if an you know, 80-pound kid is going to be under a pillow this big. They're looking in drawers. They're looking everywhere. I'm like, nobody can hide there. But they have total faith that they're going to find kids in drawers. They're going to find them in shoes. They're turning over shoes. Kids can't hide there. It is hide to be found and seek where it is impossible to find. I think in kids we learn a little bit about God. As we have discovered, as we've been talking about God in the context of this series, God um, has called us. We, we framed this series out of 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. And last week we, we talked about what it looks like to humble ourselves. And pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then... I will hear from heaven, forgive their sins, and heal or restore their land. We're going to talk about praying next week. Actually, Dan Snape is going to preach next week. You'll want to be here and hear that. But this week, we're going to talk about seeking him. And I believe that in hide, hide when you want to be found, seek, where you can't imagine that you can find, we find the truth about God. Because the reality is, is that God's not hiding so that we can't find him. He's hiding behind a pole. And if you spend too much time looking for him, he jumps out of a bush <laughs> and says, here I am. I want you to find me. I want you to find me. This isn't about me hiding from you. The game is not about how, how well I can hide. The journey is about how easy it is to find me if you will seek me with your whole heart. I also believe that 
kids show us uh, what it looks like for us to seek. Because even though God has said He can be found, He does say that He strongly supports those whose hearts are diligently pursuing Him, that are wholeheartedly given to Him. And I, I believe He wants us to look for Him under every stone, behind every bush. He wants us to eagerly pursue Him like a kid. Have, I, I left out one detail. Once ten, you know, have, hide and seek, you're supposed to count till ten. Five-year-olds count to two. Because it's time to seek, right? Enough of this putting hands over my eyes and waiting stuff. I'm going to go look for somebody. And God wants us to be in a place where we are not haphazardly um, bored, unenthusiastic, come and get me, God, if you want me, disposition. But He delights. He delights when we seek Him in the same way that a child looks for someone who is hidden. All right, I'm going to burn that image in your mind. If you, if you walk away and you forget everything I just said after this, just remember God's hiding behind a pole and He's going to jump out and scare you. Okay? That's, I'm just kidding. So we seek after a lot of things in life, don't we? We seek after... You fill in the blank. We seek after a degree. We seek after a career. We seek after a spouse. We seek after treasure. And if you think about how you sought after the things I just said, probably in most of those things, you were pretty diligent, pretty responsible, pretty eager to find a spouse a job, a career, a degree, things that were going to benefit you. We seek after the meaning of life, or some of us do, or hopefully most of us do. But how eager do we seek after God? Many of us kind of live like if He wants me to know Him, He'll come and shake my shoulders. You know, if He wants, if He has something with me, He can come and get me. He knows where I live. He's God, Right? Sometimes he does do that in our lives out of mercy, out of grace, but he really likes it when we seek him. God wants to be found. He's made the heavens to declare his glory. He's, at times, has called the, uh, caused the rocks to cry out. He has animals, donkeys sometimes speak about him. He, he is working ways, the scripture says, to bring us into his knowledge or into his presence. He has written his name on our hearts. Our consciences are alert to him. He has sent Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus, to be seen and to be known by us. He is hiding behind a pole and jumping out to reveal himself to us. But he does want us to seek him. As we Look at the text this morning out of 2 Chronicles 14, and you can go there if you have your, your Bibles, uh, either a physical Bible or a handheld device. You can start typing that address in and looking for it, and we'll also put the Scripture up on the screen. 
I want to want to note uh, a great deal of the insight for this series, both its theme and its structure. I, I owe to Dr. Kaiser, Dr. Walter Kaiser, who wrote a book called Revive Us Again, where he looked at the revivals throughout the Bible, and specifically in this text of Scripture, he talked about, uh, wrote about these kings that we are looking at. But we have looked at Second Chronicles seven fourteen as kind of a a, a, a a passage of Scripture that communicates the the responses that we are to give as people in, respo- in regards to seeking and pursuing God for revival in our own lives and in our, in our land, that we, would, that we would humble ourselves, seek Him, pray, turn from our wicked ways. And then it also describes the results of that, that we would um, be heard by God, that He would forgive us our sins and that He would heal. And then last week we talked about that first, that first aspect of humility, we looked at, the king, at King Josiah's life and how after they had found the book of the law in the temple and he read it and heard what God had said, he humbled himself before God. He, he inquired of God. He was cut to the quick in his life that they had been living in a way that was not pleasing and honoring God. And he prostrated himself before the Lord and said, God, you are God and we are not. What would you do with us? What would you, what would you like to say? And likewise, we as a congregation bowed before the Lord last week and said, God, we have sinned. We are guilty. You are God and we are not. What will you have with us? What would you like to do in our lives? We acknowledged some of us. We acknowledged some of our wrongs. We acknowledged his goodness. We humbled ourselves before him. We filled the altar. Many of us praying, saying, God, we want to be right with you. This week, we come to another king. We come to another king that's described as a good king in 2 Chronicles 14, King Asa. And I want to, want to remind you, neither was Josiah perfect, but King Asa is not perfect. And if you hang on for the end of the story, you'll see that uh, he is human like us all. Actually, there's a, there's a message that God sends us through King Asa's faith um, and his whole life. But he came into reign as a king after his, after his father had reigned, Abijah. He was a part of the Davidic kingdom. The kingdom was divided at this time. There were ten kingdoms at the, on the, in the north that were called Israel. And then there were two kingdoms in the south called Judah. And uh, he, he ruled in Judah. And he had come out of a time where his father had called upon the Lord when they had been in battle with Israel, and God had defended Judah and routed the troops of Israel because they had trusted, Judah had trusted and sought God, and God gave them victory. Abijah died, and Asa took over um, the reign of that kingdom, and it says that he reigned for 10 years in peace. He continued the reforms that his father brought about. He continued uh, to worship God in, in the temple. And they continued to seek the Lord. And in verse 7 of chapter 14, um, Asa told the people of Judah, let us build towns in this time of peace and prosperity. Let us build towns and fortify them with walls, towers, gates, and bars. The land is still ours because we sought the Lord our God. And he has given us peace on every side. And so they went ahead with these projects and brought them to completion. Then came the first trial under his leadership, a vast Ethiopian army. Some translations say that it could have been a million-man army. 
um, came and attacked uh, Judah. And it says in verse 11, Then Asa cried out to the Lord his God, O Lord, no one but you can help the powerless against the mighty. Help, help us, O Lord our God, for we trust in you alone. It is in your name that we have come against this vast horde. O Lord, you are our God. Do not let mere men prevail against you. So the Lord defeated the Ethiopians in the presence of Asa in the army of Judah, and the enemy fled. So Asa the king saw this impending army, this vast horde, it says, and his first response was to humble himself before God and cry out and ask God to deliver them. And God did. And then right after this victorious battle, the prophet Azariah met with the troops, literally as they were coming off the battlefield. He meets the troops and the king, and the Spirit of God, it says, came upon Azariah, son of Oded, in verse 2, and he went out to meet King Asa as he was returning from the battle. And he shouted, listen to me, Asa. Listen, all you people of Judah and Benjamin. The Lord will stay with you as long as you stay with him. Whenever you seek him, you will find him. But if you abandon him, he will abandon you. For a long time, Israel was without the true God, without a priest to teach them and without the law to instruct them. But whenever they were in trouble and turned to the Lord, the God of Israel, and sought him out, they found him. During those dark times, it was not safe to travel. Problems troubled the people of every land. Nation fought against nation and city against city, for God was troubling them with every kind of problem. But as for you, be strong and courageous. For your work will be rewarded. And when Asa heard this message from Azariah the prophet, he took courage and he removed all of the detestable idols from the land. So what happened? They had victory in the Lord. God delivered them from their enemies. And immediately Azariah steps up and says, don't take this victory for granted. It was from God. And if you continue to seek God, so will you be blessed. But when you stop seeking God, be warned. Remember that as we end our message today because that will come back as a harbinger of a prophetic word for Asa's own life. But in this instance, King Asa responded by humbling himself, calling out to God and living righteously. He removed idols. He repaired the altar of the Lord in the temple. He had, in his place of desperation into battle, he had sought the Lord with all of his heart. Then he called the people of the land together to worship God, verse 12. And then they entered into a covenant to seek God, seek the Lord, the God of their ancestors, with all their heart and soul. And they agreed that anyone who refused to seek the Lord, the God of Israel, would be put to death, whether young or old, man or woman. And they shouted out their oath of loyalty to the Lord with trumpets blaring and rams horns sounding. All in Judah were happy about this covenant, for they had entered into it with all their heart. They earnestly sought after God, and they found Him. And the Lord gave them rest from their enemies on every side. The key to Asa's success in the subsequent national revival that they experienced was he sought God. He continued to seek the Lord. In these three chapters, 14 through 16, 48 verses, the chronicler uses the phrase, seek the Lord, 
nine times. He uses it 29 times in the whole book of 2 Chronicles. This is an important theme for the chronicler. He is trying to get the people of God to remember that it is a priority. It is a necessity for us to seek the Lord. And we'll see in this story, we see three results of seeking God, that we will experience victory over our enemies, we will experience peace, and we will experience God's presence. So what does it mean to seek the Lord? I think if we looked at the totality of Scripture, and I don't have enough time today to go to every seeking the Lord passage of Scripture, but if we looked at the totality of Scripture, it involves knowing God. It involves serving and being found in God or being found by God. There's this, there's this, Amos 5 talks about seek me and live, this sense that our lives depend on it when we seek God. And we see this in the passage of Scripture. Their lives depended upon seeking God. God has put us in times and places where he is saying, apart from me, from me John 15, you can do nothing, but in in me, you can bear a lot of fruit. Seeking us has this sense of wholeheartedness, not just half-hearted. Jeremiah 29, verse 12 and 13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. This wholehearted, all of our lives depend upon it. Our future depends upon it. Searching and serving and knowing and going after God. That's what it looks like to seek God. A wholehearted resolve to never give in till I get to God and experience his favor and presence kind of seeking. Can I say that again? Seeking God is a wholehearted resolve to never give in till I get to God and experience his favor and presence kind of seeking. How many of us are in a place where we are seeking after God like that? I remember my own life when I was 19 and I was in college and I was getting touched by the Lord and I sensed that God was not just a God of the Bible, but he was a a living God. Obviously, I knew him at one sense, but there was more about God and a relationship with, with him than I knew or had experienced. And I was on mission with Youth with a Mission, this crazy, radical missions organization that scared the bahijis out of me, but I really was intrigued by them all at the same time. Ever been around people like that? You are really strange. Can we have dinner? like what connects there I just don't know what comes over us but like there is something unbelievably attractively repulsive about you and I don't know which one I want to choose right now but that's kind of how I felt about YWAM Um, and yet I enlisted in a short term of service and long story short in the context of that summer of service what God was doing was drawing me to himself and I remember one, one, one aspect of that summer I just want to highlight for you is that at the point of my desperation of trying to reconcile what I was reading in the Bible, all these miracles, all these promises of God's nearness and His desire for my life and His destiny in me and what He wanted to do through me and my own experiences in my life, they weren't lining up. I said, God, I'm not leaving this place until you make sense of what I'm reading. You're either real or you're not. 
I know I'm a Christian God, but I don't want just to be a Christian that walked down an aisle and prayed a prayer and got dunked in water and has, has no vitality to my life other than the experience that I've got you on my, my fire insurance um, declaration. That when hell comes, I'm saved. But I want to know you. And I am not experiencing what I see here in here. And so I found a guard post on this old army base that YWAM had taken over. That was alarming. <laughs> and I went into the, the guard post and below the windows night after night, afternoon after afternoon when I had free time. And I got down on my face and I said, God, you've got to move. I was hungry. Where are you? I know people in this room who get up at 4.30 in the morning to seek God's face. I know people in this room who read 20 chapters of the Bible a day. Yikes. I can't even read that fast. They're hungry. I, knew, I know people who, who in this room who, who turn on Spotify and stay in their room for a couple hours and just worship God and, and sing and I know people in this room that get so set on fire because they're in the presence of the Lord that they go out and they do crazy things like tell people about Jesus. People they don't know. Why? Because we're hungry for God. Walter Kaiser says, All true repentance, communion with God, service for Him, prayer to Him, and spiritual growth in him revolves around truly seeking God. Everything that encapsulizes who we are as children of God has at its forefront a seeking of God in an earnest and wholehearted way. And this story of Asa shows us that. We will experience victory when we seek the Lord. Amen. We've been singing about it. We talked about it. But back to the beginning of the story. Verse 7 in chapter 14. What did he say? He said, uh, we sought the Lord. They were in a time of peace. And it says, he said, we sought the Lord our God and he has given us peace on every side. We will experience victory and peace on every side. Peace on every side. Peace on every side. What would it feel like to have peace on every side of your life? When I think about it nationally, it's interesting. If you look at two different countries, you understand this concept. If you look at Israel, Israel actually has no peace on any of its borders. Every border that Israel has, for the most part, is an enemy. And as a result, the common theme or discussion, if you live in Israel, is always peace. At what cost can we have peace? Because our enemies surround us. Our enemies are among us. How do we have peace? Because the people all around us hate us. Contrast that to the United States of America, who for the, at least the last couple of centuries, although there's minor skirmishes or disagreements, has had peace on its borders, both south and north, and by two oceans. And as a result, we have not experienced the trial or the turmoil like a country like Israel has, where literally a small country has three or four or five nations that don't like them all around them. I'm just using one nation as an example. There's plenty of nations in the world that experience this. But when you don't have peace on your border, it is a hard life. 
And yet what a glorious promise that Asa is declaring for us, that as I trust in the Lord, as we put our hope in God, He gives us peace on all of our borders. What are your borders? Let's move from a nation to your own life. Wouldn't it be awesome to know that the borders of your life, financially, relationally, spiritually, inwardly and outwardly, that these borders are at peace because God's got your back. That's what God wants for our lives. He's not wanting us to live partially protected, but in another side or another flank of our life, man, we're getting destroyed. How are you doing? Oh, well, you know, everything's great except my finances are falling apart, praise God. No. God is saying to us as we seek Him and trust Him that He is wanting to be our flank on every part of our life. He's wanting to be involved. Now, that doesn't mean that we're not going to go through trial, and it doesn't mean that we're not going to experience hardship, but in those specific areas of our life, we can know peace with God. Whether the circumstances change, and I'm not preaching a a prosperity gospel here that every single situation in our life is going to change immediately because we know Jesus. That is a pipe dream, because that's not how God lives. We live in a world where we face trial and suffering, and it says that the trials testing of our faith, the trials of our life produce perseverance in our life. So there are times and ways in which God allows suffering or trial in our life so that we can grow, what does it say, mature and complete, not lacking anything. And sometimes it's the very trial or existence of a trial that actually matures us and makes us a better Christian. I've been around a lot of people who don't believe in suffering that are not great Christians. What do I mean by that? Well, I mean because everything is pie in the sky and they can't relate to your need or God's allowance of trial or suffering in your life. We have to know that God allows suffering in life. You're up here way too early, Dan. I mean, I'm not even halfway through my sermon and you're sneaking up on the keyboard as if you're telling me that it's time for me to be quiet. Holy cow. Come on, wrap it up. I'm going to have to preach this one. I told him to do this, so don't get mad. He's just, he's just the messenger. He said, do you really want me to do it? I said, yeah, I really want you to do it. You know, p- I really don't want you to do it. Is what people have lunch plans. Okay. Okay. All, right. Okay. All right. Darn. I might have to come back next week and preach this next one. I might have to postpone this because i got too much good stuff here. So let me just say this. Peace. Thank you, Lara. God wants peace on all of our sides. But it starts with us trusting and seeking God. See, what we do is we start to get worried and we, we uh, leave these other areas of our life and we focus on this area of our life and we start to get anxious. And we start to roll up our sleeves and we start to call in armies that are not God. And we start to work and try to make things better. When, again, God uses us to in our problems, so that's a whole nother message. I'm not saying that you don't do anything, but our first step is to seek and humble ourselves before the Lord. God, I'm overwhelmed physically. Lord, I'm experiencing a sickness that will not go away. I've seen a few doctors, and they don't have answers. And yet, God, I want you to know that 
line up a hundred doctors for me. Give me whatever prescriptions you need to give me. But I trust that you're the one who's going to do all of it. However you want to do it. But God, you are the one I seek. And Lord, until I find healing, I do know and believe that you can give me peace. Peace when I'm not healed and peace when I am healed because you are the God of my borders. God, I'm struggling financially. Everything else in my life seems to be doing okay, but man, I cannot hold on to money. And every time I think I have a little bit, something breaks down. Something goes bad. I get a ticket on my car. I wasn't expecting to get. Lord, I just, it just makes me want to pull my hair out. But Lord, what do I have to give? And though I feel like I don't have a lot, you have cattle on a thousand hills, the scripture says. And though I don't know where it's coming from, how many times in my life has something come from nowhere that I didn't expect because you orchestrated it? Lord, don't let me forget. You bring me peace on this side of I'm really kind of conflicted here, guys, because there's so much more in this story. So, Lord Jesus, but I do want us to respond. I'm going to skip. I'm going to skip a, I'm going to skip a point. I'm going to go to the end. I want to tell you the end of the story because I think it's a good bookend for this message, this part that I've emphasized. King Asa was awesome. He was awesome. He was an awesome leader from the beginning. He led in times of peace. He was radical about removing idols in the land. He was courageous in the, in the face of big armies. And he sought God. He humbled himself. He rallied the whole nation to, to worship God. He was awesome. And for 35 years, they were without, or from the time, so for 20 years after they had this revival, they, net, they didn't have war and they had peace on every border. And then 36th year of his reign, Israel comes knocking again. He says, you know what? We want to pick a fight with you again. And what does he do? Instead of calling out to God, he makes an alignment with Israel's enemy or somebody that Israel was aligned with. He says, don't be aligned with them. Be aligned with us, King Aram. King Aram says, okay. Israel backs off. And lo and behold, no more army about to attack him. It seemed like it was a great plan. And then the prophet Hananiah comes up to King Asa and he basically says, do you remember what you did? Why'd you do that? You saw us defeat. You saw God defeat the Ethiopian army. You have seen revival in your land. You have seen that when you humble yourselves before God, he always blesses you and he never lets you get defeated. Why in this latter part of your reign did you forget God and trust in man? And you know what King Asa did? He could have gone two ways. You know what he did? He got angry. He got angry at the prophet. The prophet was just telling the truth. He got angry at the prophet. He threw him in jail and it says he began to oppress his people. And then he died of a foot disease. We're never so fortunate in God that it's time for us to stop seeking God. And we're never so blessed that we, 
when we do mess up, because I believe that if King Asa at that point would have said, oh my gosh, you are so right, I blew it. God would have forgiven him. Forgiven him. I know it because a few chapters later, he, I mean, uh, uh, earlier he talks about forgiving King Ahab. Ahab was a nut, wicked, evil, despicable king. But in the middle of his reign, he realized he needed to repent, and he repented, and God says, I forgive you. Gosh, God is so merciful. Makes me mad when it's my enemies. But he's the same for us, but he expects that we will seek him. Okay, stand up. Lord, Jesus, you are merciful. You pray with me. You are merciful and good. You want to be found. You're hiding behind a pole. You want to be known, and you want to bring peace on every border. You know, the scripture says that Jesus, he is our ultimate peace. He brought peace, Ephesians says, between the Jew and the Gentile. He reconciled us uh, that were at odds at one another. Relationally, he reconciled mankind together because of what he had done on the cross. He brought peace relationally. You, Jesus, did brought peace to us relationally. And you brought peace to us vertically with God, with yourself. We are no longer treated as our sins deserve, but we are set free. You are our peace. Lord, would you bring peace on every side of our lives this morning as we seek you? So I just want to give an invitation to you as we have a few minutes left before we need to go get our children. Where is your border being attacked? Where are you at a place where you have not put your trust or hope in God? Or maybe your hope and trust in God is shaken because things are becoming harder for you to manage than you can manage. I want to encourage you to seek God this morning. I want you to seek God in this place of trust and believe that He is victorious over your enemies. And the first enemy he's wanting to deal with is the enemy that's in yourself, that enemy of anxiety, that enemy of unbelief, that enemy of doubt. So the Lord wants to meet you in that place. So if that is you, as we respond, you want peace on your borders, come down. Let's do like we did last week. Let's humble ourselves before the Lord and let's seek God and allow God to minister to you in that place. And I would invite as people come forward.